Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. We spoke recently on Open House about some issues in agriculture, genetically modified crops and the use of weed killers like uh, glyphosate and so on. It brought a lot of interest during the week and some comment. Um, Some people saying, well, we shouldn't... Um, we shouldn't change things that God has made, that things were made the way they were for a reason and we would do well not to interfere with them. Other people say, well, it's our role to try to get better yields out of our crops in order to help the third world, for instance. So we started thinking deeply about how you decide questions like that. And for us as Christians, of course, the answer is to go back to the word of God and to really think theologically about what's going on. It's a bigger discussion than just for agriculture. It really is the discussion that I think in some ways the first question that I asked when I became a Christian in my uh, mid-twenties, I said to the minister of the church, I said, well, I'm now a Christian. What now will I do? What is my new role? Will I leave what I'm doing now, which at at the time was broadcasting, commercial broadcasting, uh, and go and work as a missionary? And he said, well, what are you doing now? And I said, well, you're a listener. You know what I'm doing now. He said, well, do that, but just do it in light of the gospel of Jesus. Very, very wise, that man, Silas Horton, a very wise man, uh, since passed on, but gosh, he had a great ministry. And I'm always grateful to him for that. So the theology of why we do what we do relates to questions like, what times are we in? And that relates to questions about what God is doing. What is God's big plan for the world? We know about it, of course, from creation itself. We know about it from Jesus, and we know about it from God's Word, the Bible. So tonight, to give thoughtful consideration to all of that and do our best to answer some of these questions, what does God want us to do in stewardship of this planet? Uh, We went to a very good friend of mine. He's a theologian, he's a Christian blogger, he's a pastor, and he's the principal of Vos Baptist Seminary in Perth, Dr. Brian Harris, to toss around some of those big ideas. Brian, welcome back to Open House. Good to be with you, Stephen. I must say, this is a fascinating topic. It really requires us to go back and look at our theology very closely. So let's start with the Garden of Eden. What was going on in the garden, and and what was it that God meant, do you think, when he said to us that we should be stewards over, or words were used like subdue the earth? What's going on there? Yeah, I think it's a very, very important concept, and we sometimes overlook its significance. So we sometimes talk about the garden as having been perfect, uh, and we think immediately to our 21st century ideas of perfect in terms of there's nothing more you can do to it. It's simply perfect. Uh, But that's not the Jewish or Hebrew concept at all. Uh, When in the opening chapters of the Bible we told, for example, that God made the world and it was good, and then he makes people, and that's very good, Um, the writer's working with the Hebrew concept of good and very good, which means fit for purpose. Uh, The garden worked, the world worked. And Ma, when humans were made, it worked very well indeed. But it's not implying that there was nothing to be done. And you see that right away. Mm. Humans were supposed to work in the garden. Mm. And in fact, one of the very first tasks they've given is that God brings the animals to Adam and says, you must name them. This is an incomplete task. You must do something and you, and you, you must name the creation. And in some of my writing, I've spoken in terms of uh, you know, that being our ongoing invitation to 
build a world with a better name. Hmm. Uh, you know, God is wanting us to do something. God is wanting us to make his good world somehow even better. So this is this is work that was given to us in the beginning, and you're suggesting that it's the ongoing work that God has for us to do, notwithstanding what happened next, notwithstanding the fall, our own desire to move away from his plan. Absolutely. So there are different ways in which the fall can be understood. Um, and so, some uh, Bible commentators you know, make, make the point that because there was a world outside the garden, it was a world that presumably humanity was going to be invited into at some point. Else, what was, was it doing there? So I, th- I think we can realistically assume, and, and obviously we are reading into the gaps a little bit, so mm-hmm. I acknowledge that. Uh, but while the, while the fall takes place as, a, as an act of disobedience and defiance, of God, uh, it doesn't mean that humans were never supposed to occupy the rest of the world. Uh, And there was a world that needed to be tended and to be looked after and to be cared for. At some point, it would be part of human maturing that they would be invited beyond the garden and to do something there. Even if not, the garden itself required work and God wanted to see what humans would do there and how they would make it a yet better place. So then we can't ignore that the fall happened. And when the fall happens, um, at that point, things change. They change forever. The nature of our work gets harder, a chore. We have to tend the weeds in the garden. The earth itself is, the dirt, you know, the earth itself is cursed, isn't it, as a result of the sin that enters the world? Absolutely. Um, and how humans respond to that is, of course, up to us. No, no. Uh, ultimately, we see that, that God, even as he expels the humans from the garden, uh, does so with a redemptive touch. So if you recall the story, uh, when Adam and Eve are expelled from the garden, God wraps them in, in the, the furs of animals. Yeah. It's as though God is saying, I'm sending you to a harsh world out there. But I'm still looking out for you. I'm still protecting you. I'm still making sure that that you don't go under. So you see the little hints of grace, even at moments of condemnation. Uh, So yes, the world does become a lot harder, but it doesn't mean that we simply throw up our hands in despair and say, you know, our original mandate is completely gone. That's not not at all the way in which we call to respond. Hmm. Now, you you can't read Genesis without also seeing it through the lens of the cross and also seeing it through the lens of the promise of a, of a new heaven and a new earth. So let's put those lenses on, or let's, let's look at the complete picture then. The redemptive nature of God is still there because Jesus then comes as the only way that we can be called into a right relationship with God. So God's still doing something about it. Absolutely. So you, you, to, to look at the garden and the expulsion from the garden passively is to forget about the cross and to forget about our long-term calling. So, so the cross comes to reverse the impact of the fall. Uh, now, we recognize that while the cross has taken place and while we receive forgiveness for our sins in the present moment, that there is an already and not yet aspect to it. So, so we enjoy many aspects of our new creation even now. We live in, in improved and right relationships with one another now because of the, the forgiveness of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're supposed to live creatively in the now moment. We're supposed to remember our original calling because Jesus has redeemed us. Uh, sin has been taken away. We shouldn't live as though we're still trapped by that. But we do realize that there's a provisionality about it. Uh, the final order has not yet come. So part of it has been instituted. Uh, another part of it, we say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We, we wait for the end and we long for the new heaven and the new earth, which will one day be birthed.
Mm. Now, talk about the new heaven and the new earth. This is not everybody is um, suddenly taken up into the sky, in this idea that heaven is up there somewhere. But that's not what God is promising in, in his word, is it? No, not not at all. So uh, many of our concepts of, of heaven uh, are far more to medieval romanticism and fantasy than <laughs> than they do to biblical teaching. Uh, so so portraits of you know sitting you know plucking away at hops, floating around in clouds. You know where do you find that in scripture? The answer uh, you don't. Uh, but what the Bible does talk about is about the coming of of the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven to the earth. And the Bible does talk about a new heaven and a new earth. And and I think that the idea that, that ultimately we, we live on a new earth in which the Jerusalem that's come down out of heaven is is, is present is is this reminder that this new order of reality which will ultimately come about is one in which the new Jerusalem, the, the temple, the dwelling place of God is now on this new earth. In other words, the old divide between humanity and God is taken away and God's presence is felt and is experienced in a completely new way. But it is, I think we must notice, it is a new earth which we're looking forward to. It's not the disappearance of the concept of earth. And, I, and the fact that there's that continuity of name is extraordinarily important because it's, it's, you know, when people say, what will we be doing in the afterlife? Well, you'll be living in the new earth. So there will be some continuity uh, with the place that we already are, are in because it's still called earth, a new earth, a transformed earth to be sure. But nevertheless, it's still earth that is the fundamental underlying concept that's there. Yes, our guest is Brian Harris. He's the principal of the Vos uh, Theological College Seminary in Perth. It's a Baptist um, theological training college. He uh, sits on a number of national boards. He's an author, and uh, the guy. And, and one of the great concepts of, of in Brian's works is this idea of giving the earth a better name. We'll we'll return to that theme in a moment. What we're doing now is building some theological ground points that we can come back to when we discuss some of the questions that have arisen in this program recently about the way we work in the world now. So the final uh, stake in that is to say, what work will we be doing in, in the new earth? Um, will it be the same as the work we were given in the garden? Will it be different? Do we know what's promised? What does Scripture tell us? Yeah, I mean, that's a fascinating question. Uh, I'm not sure we can answer it precisely, and I think that if anyone tells you exactly what you're going to be doing, uh, treat it with a, with a healthy dose of scepticism. Um, but uh, it's like seeing the resurrection body of Jesus. Um, and, and we can ask the question, why was it that the disciples took some time to recognize Jesus? And I think the answer has to be because there was similarity and there was difference. Uh, he he wasn't Jesus come back to life again in the sense of, of Lazarus came back to life again. He's Jesus coming back from the other side of death. So he's showing us actually what, what our resurrection bodies will ultimately look like. And, and the answer is much the same and yet different. They recognize but didn't recognize. What will our work be like? Uh, well, it will be a new earth. Uh, so it won't be completely discontinuous with everything that's gone before, um, but it will be different in many ways. I, I think we can look at the things that will abide forever. So, for example, 1 Corinthians 13.13 13 tells us that there are three things that remain forever, faith, hope, and love. And I think that we will be building a new reality that somehow works with those three things that last forever, faith, hope, and love. Mm. Not just how that looks, I don't know. Mm. Will it be a creative world? Absolutely, because God is so extraordinarily creative. He's, he's able to build things out of nothing at all. 
Will it be an interesting world? Absolutely. Will we be bored? I mean, I've sometimes heard people say, surely we'll get bored in eternity. It goes on for so long. Uh, and the answer is no. The creativity of God ensures that that won't be the case. Um, so it won't be a kind of retirement village where we, you know, lie around, uh, you know, just wondering when the next meal is coming. It, it will be deeply, deeply uh, engaging. And we will find that we are more fully human than we have ever been before. And presumably will take great um, enjoyment from actively loving and serving other people. Is that a thing we can hang on to? Absolutely. And somehow I mean, it will be a deeply relational world and will be a world with right relationships. Right relationships with God, right relationships with one, one another, right relationships with creation. I mean, people sometimes ask, you know, will my dog get to heaven? And, and you know, really I can't answer that question. But will there be animals in heaven? Well, certainly when the Old Testament authors write about it, talks about the lion laying down with the lamb, it, it talks about a world that, you know, is certainly continuous in many ways with our current world. So it's not just relationships with one another. It's not just relationship with, with, with God. It is also relationship in some way with the created order, animals, plants, the, the rest of things. Well, Brian Harris, let's start drawing some of these themes together then. If we go back to the picture given to us of the original garden and relating it to our discussions on Open House in recent days about the way we use science in agriculture today. Let's go back to the picture. In the garden, there weren't weeds. The work that Adam was given to do wasn't to do with weeding because the weeds entered the garden when the earth was cursed and we were expelled from the garden because of our sin. Right. And then presumably there won't be weeds in heaven. Am I right in thinking that? Does that sound right to you? Well, it depends. It depends on how you view weeding. I mean, some people love weeding, so that could be a very happy activity for some. Some okay. people just, just think, well, I've actually built something quite creative here. Um, well, when I say uh, heaven, uh, by the way, I mean on the new earth. So the work we have to do won't be the drudgery, presumably, of the weeding, because if those weeds are there because of sin, well, that's been dealt with. That's done away with. Absolutely. But, but, but creativity is about making things more, isn't it? Uh, so it is somehow about about making something more. So it, it isn't that the present reality is bad. And, and to go back to what I said towards the start of the, this interview, we sometimes think, you know, the world was created perfect. That's not what the Hebrew says. That's not what Genesis 1 and 2 say. They say it was good and it was very good. And any Hebrew listener will say that means it worked. It was functional. But something that works can, be, can work even better. Uh, something that works can be, you know, raised to the next level. And that's part of, of our creativity and something that we call towards. Yes, there, there's an interesting observation made by a, a theology friend of mine um, who says, look, the, um, the, the earth can't be all bad and human beings, uh, our bodies can't be, you know, this disastrous thing because God gave one to his own son to live in and he had him walk around on this earth. So right. the earth is still this good place that God made. Our bodies are still the amazing things that are made in the very image of God himself. Absolutely. And, and people sometimes, I think, misunderstand what the reformers were sometimes saying. Right. Reformers, for example, sometimes spoke of the total depravity of humanity because of sin. Mm. And, and we hear that, and that sounds like extraordinarily strong language. And, and we think that they mean we are the worst that we could possibly be. That was not their intention at all. What they were saying is that sin impacts every area of life. 
that there is no area where sin somehow doesn't impact it so that it is not the good area that it could actually be. So it's not that we're the worst that we could be, but it is that there's no area that has not been impacted by the fall of humanity. Now, mm. now that we do need to take with ut- utmost seriousness. And so even as we, as we look to the future and even as we look to human creativity and, and let's think about things like genetic modification or what, 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 whatever, I think we do, do need to embark upon that, that route, but to do so with humility. Because I think that that's something the, the fall always calls us to, a radical new humility. We are not all that we should be. Now, now that shouldn't paralyze us, but it does mean that, that you run a grid over things, that you ask questions about it, that, if, that you actually do second-guess yourself to some extent and to say, will this really lead to the flourishing of humanity and of this planet? And, and you, you don't just glibly say absolutely and refuse to think of unintended consequences. If we actually think only about the depravity of man and the depravity of our circumstances, um, it, it leads you to a, a kind of theology that's about uh, fall and salvation. It's about sin and salvation, sin and salvation. And that's very important. But um, what you argue in your many books is that we have to look at the whole picture. So we come to this idea about giving the world a better name. So what do you mean when you say giving the world a better name? Yeah, so it's an idea I talk about in, in my book, The Big Picture. And uh, in it I say that, you know, this first human task which we're given is to name creation and and point out that in those opening chapters of Genesis, Adam is invited to name the, the animals. He's invited to name the birds. And that God is actually brings these animals to, to Adam and watches and, and is waiting to see what Adam will, will, will name them. Yeah. And it gives this extraordinary portrait of, of humans co-creating with God. So God has created, and the seventh day has passed, God has rested. But God isn't actually saying creation is complete. God, in fact, is the first one who says, actually, actually there's still some things to be done. Uh, this world hasn't been named. Now, no, no, come on, what name are you going to give? And, and names in the Bible are extraordinarily important. And quite often people's names get changed because they're viewed as being not suitable or undermining the potential that a person might have. And so God changes their, 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 their name. So I think it's, it's, it's very important that in these opening chapters, humans are told, you name the animals. In other words, you create a face here. You, 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 you shape them by naming them and you decide what kind of a world this would be. Now, now we must be very realistic here. I think that uh, these opening chapters of, of, of Genesis talk about you know, being able to rule over the earth and to have stewardship over it. And we sometimes have viewed stewardship as domination. Stewardship as a mandate to do whatever we like. Stewardship as entitling us to trash the earth. But that is not what the original mandate was. It was to be a responsible steward of God's good earth, remembering that we are image bearers, in other words, people who represent God. And as God's representatives, we need to tend the world really well. And we must do that with all the creativity that God gives to us, because God is watching. I mean, that's the portrait that, 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 that is given. God says, you be my stewards, you be my image bearers here, and I'm watching as you do it. And, and I want you to do this well. I want you to do this very well indeed. When you think about the parable of the talents, we would be the person who just dug a hole in the ground, buried the money and said, here it is back again. We wouldn't have done anything with it, seems to be what you're saying here. That in fact, this, as co-creators and image bearers of God himself, our job is to continue to improve, hence your, your phrase, give the world a better name. Now, does, does that define this period that we're in? 
the job of dealing with sin is complete, and yet all of the times have not been brought to their fruition yet. We're in this waiting period. Does that define the job that we have now to do, to continue to improve things until God completes the task? Yeah, so I think the time that we're in is this, this time of the already and the not yet. Yeah, yeah. And we must make the already all that it can be. So we already know so many things because of Jesus. And we already have the challenge to live in a particular kind of a way. We're supposed to forgive one another. We're supposed to reach out to our enemies and to even love our enemies. Uh, we're given all these world-transforming principles to live by. And we know that, in fact, we have the Holy Spirit who lives within us, who gives us the power to live in a way we otherwise would find absolutely impossible. So so it's not a static period. And I, and I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking it's just an in-between period. It's the waiting room and it's of no significance. Uh, to, to, to the contrary, this is a period in which we are called to become more Christ-like. We see in the mirror dimly, says Paul now, then we will see face to face. So we live completely in the light of what we see, but we do that with humility. This is not the final word. So, so even when we get enormously excited about some project, we do that wholeheartedly, enthusiastically, but another part of us still says, come Lord Jesus, you're, you're the, the one we are waiting for, longing for, and ultimately you will make all things new. Um, now, because God will ultimately make all things new doesn't mean that we shouldn't, in fact, do anything at all. Uh, rather, we should be, be people who are saying, you know, what is it that's going to last forever? And I come back to 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And there are three things that remain forever, faith, hope, and love. So, so what does it mean to, to build things out of faith or out of hope or out of love? Well, well, I mean, just think of how many of the world's projects are undertaken for fear, for example. Mm. Sorry, things that are built from fear have no future. Mm. Things that are built from hope do. Uh, you know, so, 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 so we're given a direction there. Live out your hopes rather than, uh, than, than your fears. Uh, don't be paralyzed in the present moment. Trust God for all that's going to come. Our guest is Brian Harris, Principal of Vos Seminary in Perth and the author of a number of books and also a blog which is well worth subscribing to, brianharrisauthor.com. Well, Brian, through this type of theology, we, we can start to answer questions like, what then shall we be doing? So building things based on hope, building things based on love, not on fear. What does that tell us then about using things like science and to answer the tricky question of last week, genetically modified crops or the use of herbicides to improve yields, if that's what we're using it for, to improve yields uh, for the third world? Oh, so I think we approach uh, uh, you know, scientific findings with an open mind. N- number one, I think we engage in science with confidence because science only works because uh, there is an ordered world uh, and there is a God, a rational God, who's put laws in place and the whole scientific uh, enterprise really got embarked upon because humans had the confidence that there was a God who had made an orderly world. So, so science is always something that, that as Christians we embrace with real enthusiasm and we look and we say, well, you know, all truth is God's truth, so what are we being taught? But we do it with humility, and I come back to this over and over again, the, the, the humility that realizes actually we do live in a fallen world, we do have a bent towards sinfulness, therefore we must not be naive. And with every project that we undertake, we, we really need to ask two questions. Uh, question number one, uh, what good can this do? You know, How can this really serve causes of, of faith, hope, and love? But, but equally, we need to ask the question, in what way might this be tarnished by the fall? 
Uh, and so, so we can look, for example, at uh, you know producing more food for humans. Uh, now, clearly, that is a worthy goal. Uh, clearly, there we we would love to see poverty eradicated. Uh, but even as we desire that, we need to say, but at what cost? So, if we do that by, for example, uh, absolutely inhumane conditions for animals, we have to say, is is that really fulfilling our mandate? And can't we be creative enough to still get that same outcome that 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 poverty gets eradicated, but not at this 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 terrible price of the suffering of of the animal world, for example. Hmm. So 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 there is a lot that we have to take into account, and and we can't just embrace something almost simplistically and say, well, that's a benefit. We have to say their benefits and what are the costs. And because we believe in the fall, we always take take the costs, and that there will be a cost with the utmost seriousness. But equally, you're saying that to do nothing is not what God requires of us. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, Absolutely not. Otherwise, what has the redemption in Jesus been about? Mm. Are we simply kind of sitting in a waiting room uh, here on the earth waiting to be (laughs) whisked off to some other place? I mean, if that was the case, God would take us home the moment that we were saved. Yes, and by the way, it would be boring just to sit in the waiting room. Absolutely. When you get to to do great stuff, that makes life really worthwhile. Is it right to say that God is still active in the world, this idea that he's both transcendent, above and beyond culture, but imminent, working in our world through us? Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, you know, some people act as though they believe in what would be called a deus remotus, a a removed God who Mm -hmm. makes the world, who sets the world on its path, but is no longer involved in any way whatsoever. That is not the God of the Bible. Uh, The God of the Bible is constantly involved in the lives of humans and and the world as a whole. Uh, And so so our very exciting task as as Christians, as people who are called into this new community of, of the church, is to sense where God is working at the world, in the world and to realize that, that the world is this ongoing battleground uh, and, and you see in the culture of the world, for example, you see the fingerprints of the divine, but yes, you do also see the fingerprints of the demonic and part of spiritual maturity has been able to discern the difference between the two. And so at any one time in, in human history, we are called to actually be spotting what God is doing in the world and we should expect God to be working in the world because God always has and always will be involved. And so if we never see what God is doing in the world, well, it's not because God isn't working, it's because we're a little switched off. (laughs) Well, Brian, it's just been absolutely marvellous getting your big picture of theology. You know, um, seldom perhaps do we get the chance to stand back outside of all of that and put it together in a big big thematic um, way that reveals God at work from the start to the finish and what we're to be doing here in the middle of it. So I want to thank you for that. And it really is worth studying theology. I know people um, might, might think it's dry, but it's v- it's actually a very exciting thing to do, but it really shapes your life. Um, Absolutely. We, should, we ought to have more theology, really, in, in um, some of the teaching around the place, but maybe that's a discussion for another day. Uh, it's fully, fully back you there. You, you were preaching to the converted there, Stephen. Now look, to that, to that end, I know, because you are the principal of a, of a theological college, um, and we go to air on Inspire Digital in Perth. You've got an open day coming up at Vos Seminary. What sort of people go to a, a Bible college these days? Obviously, people who want to be ministers of religion, but who else goes? Yeah, so, so so we find that amongst our students, and we have about 200 students, that about a third of them are training to be pastors or, or clergy. 
about another third really want to be more effective leaders in their local church. So they, they're not necessarily wanting to uh, to work there from a, in a paid position, but they just want to be more effective as, as leaders. And then about another third say, well, I don't really know quite why we study here, but just sense that God has said that we must study and we open to what might happen. Mm. And sometimes they, they're going to be pastors of churches, sometimes chaplains, but sometimes they, they actually work in the, 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 the wonderful world that God has made, which is not necessarily church world, but still the world that God loves. They might work in not-for-profit organizations, they might, might work in a school, they might work wherever it is, but they are trained to be more effective and they're trained to be more effectively live for God in, in that wider world. Hmm. Well, the open day is on the 6th of October from 10 a.m. till 2 p.m. and I notice you'll have an animal nursery. Um, yes. we can You can name the animals. Absolutely, and hopefully do so very creatively and build a better world in doing so. <laughs> Brian, thank you so much once again for speaking with us. Thanks, Stephen. Reverend Dr. Brian Harris from Vos Seminary. He's also pastor at large of the Cary um, Baptist community in uh, Perth and an author of several books. The one he mentioned in that interview is called The Big Picture, Building Blocks of a Christian Worldview, Biblical Foundations for a Confident Faith. It's a very, very accessible book and I I highly commend it to you if you're interested in this discussion about the, the times that we're in and, and, and what our response is to take part in the work that God continues to do in, in this world, anticipating the world to come. I did rather enjoy the idea of the waiting room. Um, I was thinking you can, you can kind of sit in the waiting room waiting for Jesus to return, passively absorbing the culture of last year's new idea or the Reader's Digest of 1943. Um, or you can actually get active. And what would that look like? Well, you could start making the waiting room a better place. You could start engaging with the people there. You could talk to them about their life, start to find out how you could meet their needs. As Brian so beautifully says, give the world a better name. It's certainly a driving idea of Open House, where we look at life through the lens of faith and point to hope. Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.